Sales win rates have plummeted to a mere 17%, and outdated technology and tedious manual processes are to blame. Meanwhile, managers lack the visibility they need to hold their teams accountable. But imagine a world in which these crippling issues are solved automatically. Revenue.io automates the most frustrating parts of sales so reps can focus on what they do best, selling. Completely automate pre-call research, logging conversation data in your CRM, writing post-conversation recap emails, and prioritized outreach. And as reps book more meetings and close more deals, managers gain the real-time insight they need to scale what's working across their entire team. Ready to say goodbye to tedious sales processes and watch your win rate soar? Head over to Revenue.io to learn more. I got an invite for a Gartner webinar. Even though I think they also have some research saying that buyers don't want to meet with salespeople, this webinar that's coming up, and I assume there's research behind it, they say something like 43% of customers prefer a rep-free experience, but when they have a rep-free experience, they're 23% more likely to regret the purchase. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Hans Fuller. Hans is the founder and CEO of StorySlab. It's a platform to optimize every element of real-time customer interactions everywhere they're happening. Now, one of StorySlab's key customer bases, Hans's key customer bases, has been field sales teams. And we all know how field sales or field-based sellers have been impacted by the pandemic. But many maybe have been too quick to write off field sales as being obsolete and no longer needed. So we're going to ask today in this conversation, is that really the case? Are there still substantive advantages to in-person sales? If so, what are they? What do they mean for how field sales evolves as we move into this next normal? Hans brings a unique perspective to this question. So it's an interesting conversation. We'll get into all of this and much, much more. But before we get to Hans, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast, wherever you listen to it. And if you could leave us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review, we'd really appreciate that. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Hans, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, nice to talk to you again. It's, it's uh, I don't know, <laughs> given what's going on in the pandemic and my inability to really track time uh, or the passage of time. I'm trying to remember how long it's, what, six months ago maybe we first talked? Some, something like that, yeah. I think, I think we had a quick talk and kind of, you know, in the middle of the pandemic and here we are. In the middle of the pandemic, I guess. Yeah, the more it changes, the more it remains the same, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I did get my flu shot yesterday, though, so I'm you okay. know, making sure I'm vac- vaccinated on all fronts. Right, that one's less controversial, I guess, right? It shouldn't be, but yes, right? Uh, right. It, right. It, it had a nice, got notice from my health system, drive-through appointments. It was just. Uh, Nice and easy. So, right, right. Just as I was with my COVID shot, which is a little drive-through. Um, so, tell us a little bit. So, first of all, how do we pronounce company name? Is it Stories Lab or Story Slab? It is Story Slab. So story, story Slab. Okay. Yep, Story, which you're familiar with, and then Slab, which uh, you know originally mobile, mobile-based. So, Slab, tablet, phone, Story, oh, and Slab together. Oh, got it. Got it. Yep. 
slang, right, slang but in the formal name of the company. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so tell us what you guys do. Yep. So we are sales engagement built for human use. Okay. So we are a technology company. And I'm, I'm, actually, I'm a little schizophrenic because, you know, we sell like a SaaS company, uh, but we equip, you know, for a, you know, much more engaged um, sale. And somebody even, I'm probably the only tech founder that gets accused of, of uh, being a little bit old school, um, just, you know, just kind of our philosophy on the type of sale and how we're trying to equip, equip folks, but we're doing it with technology. And then, well, you know. so what's old school about it? Well, I mean, tell us what you do first. I don't know what to do yeah. old yeah, school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, so I'm obviously a, a tech founder. I started the company, um, about 10 years ago, we, uh, bootstrapped our way, um, you know, to a, to a quite sizable market share sort of in the sales presentation and sales, uh, enablement, um, space. And, um, and so when I say old school, um, you know, our origins were, you know, very much as a mobile first platform intended for field sales users. So you can picture, mm-hmm. you know, reps getting in their cars, um, you know, heading out for the week, staying in hotels, uh, you know, meeting with, you know, two to 10 customers a day and, um, you know, doing it day after day. And if, if they're lucky, they had an office day on Friday. Right. And, and what, what was your product that they were using? Yeah. So, um, so I, you know, I'm sort of speaking of my history as a sure. call it traveling salesman, right? Right. Um, our product is a, a content-based platform, right? So it's a, a content and presentation um, platform. Uh, you know, I kind of shiver at the word content just because it's it's one of those words where it just gets overused and yep. and then you know nobody knows what you're talking about anymore, right? So so when I say content, you know, I like to think of it as as the collective wisdom of the organization. Mm-hmm. You know, like whatever media that gets, uh, you know, get, get that get that gets converted into could be, you know, spec sheets from you know twenty years ago. Could be you know the latest and greatest uh, uh, customer testimonial or case study, or um, animation or CAD file and that kind of thing. So, right. um, so con- you know, content. Um, you know, again, like I think it's it's a way the company sort of capture the collective wisdom of the organization, and you know, then we're the platform that puts it in the hands of salespeople sort of when they need it, so they can best engage customers. Got it. So, yeah, field sales sort of not great, obviously, since the start of the pandemic. So, sure. so uh, tell us a little bit what's yeah happened with your business and how you've transitioned to to uh, away or still yeah. working there. Obviously, not all field sales went away. Um, sure. Well, and, and I, th- I think the, the, you know, the myth was, the myth is, you know, I, you know, I sort of started talking about like how salespeople hit the road and they spend all this time with customer, but that's a myth, right? They really spend very little time with customer and a lot of customers right. and a lot of the things that they do are, have been always done asynchronously, right? So yes. you're, you know, you're sending things ahead, you're following up after. And um, like, I don't know that, uh, you know, I think, I think maybe the last year, notwithstanding, um, like, you know, like the, the amount of, of quality time you get with customers has been on decline for many, many years. Right. So I think this yeah. is a, is a blip. Um, you know, I think there's an opportunity though, now to, to, um, sort of make the, make the, the best use of the time you get with customers going forward. And so, you know, so our philosophy is, Hey, you know, meeting, meeting with customers, uh, and, and I'll say face to face because the, the platform very much works in a remote world. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but I think, um, you know, like, you know, I think we talked about this, you know, uh, six months ago, um, you know, there's sort of this spectrum of, <clears throat> of, um, you know, the, sort of the time and quality of time you get with customers. And, um, you know, I'm not saying that all sales need to be done face to face and in person, but if the goal is to engage with a customer, 
um, you know, there, there are very few substitutes for actually, you know, sitting down across the table from a customer meeting with them uh, in person, right? So, um, again, not that it can be everybody's full, you know, full day, eight hours in front of customers, but, you know, there is, there is value, it might even be a differentiator if you can get in front of the customers, you know, build that relationship face-to-face. Yeah, well, and we'll get into that because I, I think that's, you know, I do want to talk about your perceptions about the, and your perspective, get your perspective on the future of sales, field yeah. sales in particular. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think there's always been, always been, that there are, and I've seen this come out, come to the fore in the last year and a half, is true misunderstanding of, I think, of what field sellers do. And, Yes, there are some, as you described, that you know hit the road, spend you know, make eight to ten calls a day, spend all day in front of of uh, customers. But then there also was a large component of people that call themselves field sales. But to your point, is you know getting in front of the time to get in front of the customers actually uh, was getting harder and harder, and a greater percentage of the actual selling they did was of these people that were field sellers was done virtually. Yeah. 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 Agreed. And, and I think, um, there's, there's virtually or in person, right. And then there's synchronous and asynchronous and you get sort of, you know, different, different combinations of, of each of those. So you can, you can do virtually, uh, asynchronous, which seems to me to be the lowest amount of engagement, right. Or, you know, or, or at least, at least in terms of seller buyer personal engagement, right. All the way through, Synchronous, uh, synchronous, you know, real time sort of in person engagement, which right. you know, which uh, which you know presents presents the greatest opportunity, I think, to build that relationship and some kind of emotional connection. Um, and um, you know, again, again, call me old school, but I think uh, you know, if you're collaborating with customers, uh, doing it face to face, and um, and and you know, being able to to uh, uh, problem solve um, with you know with that person in the room um, is is pr- preferred. Even if it's not the most efficient, yeah. Well, I think there are instances. Yeah. Well, is it controversial? I mean, I'm sure the lots of people think you're crazy, um, <laughs> and and we'll you know point to the experience of the last 18 months and say, look, you know, hey, you know, we're able to keep on doing you know big deals even though we weren't able to go see the customer. And I, sure, I mean, I've done lots of big deals over the years, not seeing the customer. But to your point, is is I think that that as things open up again is that for deals of a certain size deals of a certain complexity deals of a certain strategic importance for the buyer that being able to see somebody face to face in person will have value right right and um you know and and I I will you know I, I should have prefaced all this by saying that you know we we tend to deal with with companies that oftentimes have to go on site to properly, you know, apply the product, uh, it might be a capital equipment purchase, right. and um, you know, it takes multiple uh, multiple visits. Um, it's not a um, you know, technology companies have been selling remote um, and will continue to sell remote and do so very successfully. But um, but you know, we're we're sort of talking about companies where um, you know, oftentimes you have a you know, twenty five or thirty year veteran of say applying that product to that industry. They are they're sort of industry specialists. And they go out there to you know collaborate and solve problems together, mm-hmm. um, and so so I think so I think you can see that you know in in those uh, you know in, w- where those sales processes are not easy to define, 
Um, you're, you're, you know, you may or may not have, uh, you know, clear stages, uh, sort of where you are in that in that buyer's, uh, you know, uh, buying process. Um, and uh, you know, and, and again, like some of the, some of like a long term project and a large capital sale, um, you know, are are subject to a little, you know, a few more twists and turns, and uh, you know, the you know, needing the ability to be flexible along the way. Well, you raise an interesting point is that obviously probably would scare some some sellers, uh, certainly some sales managers, as like. Yeah, we're working on an opportunity with this company, and there is no defined sales process because there really can't be by definition because it's a more strategic nature. You're, yeah, it's it's going to take time to sort of build to the point where there is sort of a, a formal opportunity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, and um, you know, so I think you know, I, I um, again, like we're sort of in this is this mode where we're trying to define processes so that we can train people and sort of bring them up to speed on, on our processes and, and, um, uh, and, and sort of, uh, sort of, you know, get, get people to kind of move the ball forward with these accounts. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, sometimes wonder if we're over training, you know, for the process, if we're over measuring mm-hmm. and, um, and, um, you know, wonder whether we are, you know, we're, whether we're giving a salesperson enough latitude, you know, again, to, to, you know, figure out what the, you know, what, matters to that buyer, um, sort of what the next steps will be, um, you know, trying to figure out that approval process. Cause a lot of these processes sort of assume, you know, assume a, you know, fairly homogeneous, you know, buying process and decision-making process on the other end. Right. Well, let's talk about that. Cause I've, I've had this conversation recently with, with guests on the show is, 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 yeah, it's great to have a defined process and I'm think companies need to have something, you know, Documented that says, "Hey, here's our here's our selling process." But it's only as good as you said until you go out and talk to that first buyer because every buyer is unique. Right. I mean, they could be similar to others, but right. the people are unique. The way they the individuals process information is unique. The way that perhaps the organization makes their decisions is unique. And so, by definition, the the yeah, you know, this idea of repeatable sales processes as many companies talk about them is yeah sort of off base because yeah it's truly not repeatable and so is but what they do though is they sort of constrain the sellers from doing the experimentation they need to figure out how to deal in those situations right yep i agree and, and you know, i mentioned a little schizophrenic in that you know we're a tech company and uh, you know i've got some, some, you know, we, we've got a, a, a great process. We've got rock star AEs that, that work that process and kind of move, um, you know, move uh, deals, um, you know, through the funnel and, and uh, you know, uh, try and try and uh, increase the confidence in our pipeline. Um, but, but, you know, we're, we're oftentimes selling to companies that, um, that find it difficult to, to, uh, you know, to, to, to define their process that way. And so mm-hmm. we're kind of sell, selling a tool that affords a lot of flexibility for a certain kind of sale, certain type of, of salesperson, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, certain kind of product or service being sold. Yet we're very much, you know, we're, we're very much, I guess, I, I won't say falling victim, but we're very much utilizing a sort of a modern sales process, you know, modern uh, sales methods and metrics, and and you know, trying to be very data driven. Meanwhile, we're sort of we're kind of you know we're, we're kind of I, I won't say talking out of both sides of our mouths, but you know, we're we're using this process, but we're saying. You know, on the other hand, the companies that we're selling to kind of really appreciate the flexibility, and yep. they they need the flexibility, you know, first and foremost, and then and the metrics and data and and you know, sort of sort of designing the process or tracking the process follows right. from that. 
as opposed to the other way around. Well, I was, I was interesting. I was reading something that I think one of the blogs on your website that um, you know, you'd guys had gone out, you had interviewed earlier this year, earlier in 2021, I think sort of in the spring, is, is a number of business owners about field sales. And, I mean, reading through, like, granted, there's you know, a couple handfuls of, of business owners you're talking to, but of those that were at least featured in the article, is it seemed like they really thought field sales was essential, right? That even though yeah. they could do some of the stuff inside, is, is there was, uh, at least for them, and they were not you know, SaaS companies. They were right. uh, some were more industrial and so on, right. but yeah. felt that you know, there's value there that just couldn't be replaced. Right, right. I mean, I, I think the way I'd put it is, is they, they found that, you know, kind of that, that in-person interaction and, um, you know, again, and obviously we're, we're, we're finding you know, lots of good substitutes online and that kind of thing, but that, that interaction and sort of building the relationship with the customer and, and, um, uh, you, you know, again, the, 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 the buyers oftentimes are buying the salesperson as much as the company and sort of the, the un, oh, unwritten so, guarantee that comes with it. Right, right. So, so I think that, you know, the way I put it is they were, they were saying like, that is essential. Um, but I don't think they're saying that every time, every, the way we used to do it, you know, all, you know, the, the, the maybe, you know, too many in-person meetings and yeah, the, the excessive traveling, right. There, 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 I think, I think the, the compromise is like, okay, maybe we're over, overdoing it before, but the stuff, you know, but this, the, the, the highest value, um, versions of those meetings, um, are still very high value, maybe even more, right? Because because you have uh, fewer and fewer opportunities to kind of meet on that basis. Yeah, I have this theory, which is you know, personal theory with no research grounding of it. Though, is that yes, we've we've been able to accomplish great stuff in the last year and a half in the face of this pandemic and everybody going remote and uh, through virtual and digital sales channels. But I think that what happens is when when people get the chance to go back, they're going to find out that the face to face is better. It's not that you can't do it completely digitally, completely virtually, but they're going. To, I think this is just my gut instinct: is they're going to feel that it is better. And it's not yeah. just from the rush of being able to do it again. Yeah, there's a certain excitement going to surround the fact once we are more open and people can go. But I think they're going to find that that for the seller who who's prepared, the seller who is a seller that as you said you're sort of like your rockstar AEs that are you know contributing value to the buyer and their decision making. Yeah, they're gonna find that's again. It's not. It's gonna be used strategically. It's gonna be used right. in a way that's important. You're not gonna do it all the time. But quite frankly, that's smart companies were doing that for years. Right. Right. I don't know if you remember. There was. I think it was a United commercial. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> pre, pre-pandemic, right? Where, yeah. where, where the sales managers is like, hey, like he buy, buys plane tickets for everybody. And, Decades uh, ago, you know, yes. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think we're of the same, same era, maybe. <laughs> so, remember that. But, you know, again, nothing, not in the context of uh, hybrid or remote work, but, but you know, just like, hey, we got to get in front of our customers because, you know, they've, they've forgotten who we are, right? So, um, you know, again, there's a lot of modern substitutes for that. Um, but but I would I would say I would uh, you know some of the companies I talk to you know again they, they're not they're not like uh, um, you know just ignoring what's going on and insistent that you know like hey we're going to go back to the way things were but um, but you know but they they see you know in some ways they're hearing their competitors are are you know just cha- dramatically changing like we're going to be remote you know from this uh, from this point forward 
And, um, and they see it as a competitive advantage, right? A competitive advantage that, okay, like if you're not going to go visit your customer and form that relationship, um, then I will, will. right? Yeah. And, I, and I'll have, you know, I'll have uh, early warning, you know, I'll, I'll know like when the bids are open, who's going to get it, you know, all, all those things that, uh, you know, that, that you have, um, you know, when you have that, that, uh, you know, personal relationship. Well, I'd written, I'd written a yeah. post a few years ago. It's, uh, cause I'd run this travel reluctance from, uh, sales teams and more specifically in SaaS world, but not exclusively, but mostly there. And, and I said, you know, the, the hot new strategy of the day is actually go visit your customers. And yeah, I believe that if I had the opportunity to visit a customer and the competitor wasn't willing to do it, uh, but the, you know, at a time when the buyer is open to a dev, all the, all the preconditions being met, uh, yeah, I'd win the deal nine times out of 10. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a competitive advantage. And, and actually, you know, like among other uh, definitions of engagement, um, you know, in, in engagement is a emotional connection or commitment. Right. So mm-hmm. so you can you can look under, you know, wedding dates and, you know, a calendar appointment. And then it's, you know, emotional connection or commitment. Right. And um, what better way to get emotional commitment um, or connection than to meet in person? You know, that's, that's, that's true in work life and personal life and that kind of thing. Right. So, um, so, but anyway, you know, we are a tech company, so I know we're, we're sort of going off on, uh, you know, we're, we're the, the philosophizing about in person, in person or not. And, and, um, you know, I, I also don't want to, I don't want to say that we're, we're, uh, saying, Hey, technology doesn't have its place in this because it absolutely does. Of course. And, uh, yeah. And, and, and quite honestly, you have the right technologies and they'll tell you, you, you can measure whether the in-person meeting is moving the ball forward or not relative to the other. And you can, you know, can calculate ROI on that. So, um, you know, so there's, there's, you know, factor that in and you can see whether, uh, you know, whether it paid off or not. Yeah. Well, I, I back to what I made before, I think that, that there's so much mythology around, everyone wants to talk about how things, how, how different things are. Uh, and there's a lot of mythology built up in sales about the way things quote unquote used to be that, um, just were never the case. And so, yes, it's been a big transition, work from home and digital and so on. But I, I think uh, even people felt, I'm not saying field sales, but sort of hybrid sales roles, overestimate how much time they're actually spending face-to-face with their buyers. And the yeah. smart companies were doing it, as I would did, you know, as, as running sales for startups is, especially a couple of bootstrap startups, we didn't have the money to travel. But we were selling, you know, things denominated in the high hundred thousands and millions per transaction. So we travel when it was necessary to move the deal forward. Yeah, when it made sense. When it made sense, absolutely. What are, you, what are your thoughts on, you know, I mean, there's some research out there, particularly, I mean, I think they've stepped it up during the uh, pandemic about buyers, you know, bu- buyers wanting to see salespeople or not. <laughs> right. So, so I think, so I think there's, uh, you know, there's some, some statistics that, you know, most buyers prefer not to see salespeople. And, you know, I guess the implication is like, okay, yep, let's, you know, keep selling remote. Um, I, I think that's kind of misinterpreting what those buyers are saying. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah, I think that, first of all, I don't think, you know, given a choice, buyers never want to talk to sellers, Right. I mean, right. I've, I mean, it, I think that's been true for as long as it's been commerce. <laughs> Actually, somebody sent me a uh, an article, a link to an article about uh, the world's oldest complaint letter. It was written, you know, a couple thousand years BC in cuneiform, 
symbols on a, a stone or a piece of clay, I guess, clay that had been hardened and baked, <laughs> sent about a buyer complaining about uh, dealing with the, the owner that was selling them ingots. Um, so anyway, yeah, they didn't, they didn't have a good time dealing with the guy on the sales basis. So I, don't, right, I think right. that, that I think the equation's been the same for buyers for a long time, which is I don't have a need to talk with you if you can't contribute something of value in my decision making to my decision making. Right, and right. so as a seller, you have this pretty low bar <laughs> to surmount, which is that you know, do you have the ability to be to contribute some value to the buyer above and beyond what they can find on your website or on a user review site or wherever, right? Um, and in the absence of that, why do they want to invest their time in you? And so I think right. that that it's again, it's not that buyers don't want to meet with sellers. I think it's the same as always, and but maybe it's become more acute. They just don't want to spend time with sellers that can't add anything to them. Right. They don't. They don't want to be sold. Right. They don't want to be. You know. They don't want to be worked through the through your process or through your funnel. Right. If there's no no value being generated along the way, um, I think you know. I think if you ask that question differently and said, you know, would you like to meet with people that can help solve your problems? Right. The answer is different. It's like yes. You know, I would like to meet 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 and talk to you know valuable resources. Um, you know, might be salespeople. Right. That can help me. Um, you know, un- understand my needs and and solve my problem for me. So I think, I think it's you know, like I think the the word sales and being so- sale being sold has connotations with it that buyers are naturally going to going to say, no, I don't want that. I, you know, I need problem solved, well, but I don't need to be, to buy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just human nature is people resist being persuaded. And uh, uh, Jonah Berger, uh, professor from Wharton, wrote a book published, I think, in 2020, called The Catalyst, about any, you know, helping people make up their minds or change their minds. And 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 he has sites research in there showing that there's this fairly universal human instinct to resist <laughs> persuasion, right? So, so many sellers, that's their sort of default mode when they start talking to people, right? I'm going to pitch you. I'm going to, and as opposed to solving problems. And so, for a buyer, what they're saying is, look, I just I, have, I don't get a return on the time I invest in you when you do that. So I have no need for you. And that's, that's fine. But I think that's been a – I don't think that's new. I, I think that's been the case for buyers. Maybe they have less tolerance for it now. But I think um, that's always been the case in my experience. Yeah, I mean, the Nobel Prize winner Herbert Simon, who did research in this seat, wrote this white paper in 1971 where uh, he talked about there's going to come a day. I think you sort of – uh, forecasting the internet. I don't know if he knew about it, any developments at that, at that time, but he's saying there's come a day in the not too distant future where we're going to be bombarded with information, all these multiple sources of information. And how do we as people make a decision about where to invest our time? And yeah, I'm paraphrasing what he said, but basically he said we make an economic decision, right? Is, is this time, this investment of time, are we getting a return on it? And if we don't, then we're not going to invest in more time in that source of information. So you think about, you know, buyer or sellers, excuse me, in a sense, are basically communication channels and the source of information. And if there's no value, then you don't get any of the buyer's attention. I think it's always been that way, but I think maybe buyers have more sources of attention. As Simon said, yeah, they have more uh, sources of information contending for slices of their attention. 
Right. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, sort of the, the channel terminology, like, you know, um, it, it used to be uh, that, uh, you know, say you wouldn't consider sales like another channel for, you know, to get information and, and uh, you know, solutions to a customer necessarily, not, not, not like you would. So um, say, so email marketing and, and those kinds of things. But I think, you know, I think more and more, it's very fair to treat the um, sales reps, you know, whether they're remote or in person as just another one of those channels, right. That the buyer, that the buyer has a choice of using, you know, along the way. Right. And so, so the more you can make the, the, the human channel, uh, the human channel, like one of one of the more uh, you know fruitful and um, sort of easiest ones to use, the more likely that that buyer is to to use that as the channel that they use to solve this problem, as opposed to you know going going online and and looking at you, but then you know flip, flipping over to your competitor and and, uh, uh, and and doing the same thing over there. Yeah, I mean, I think I like to sort of summarize buying what the buying process, what the buyers are trying to achieve is is very simply say you know buyers are trying to do is they're trying to quickly gather and make sense, i.e. understand, the information they need to make a good decision with the least investment of time and attention possible. And so if you can help them achieve that, then they're going to give you time. If you can't help them achieve that, they have no time for you. Right. And so conventional sort of salesy behaviors that... that uh, yeah, we talk about it on the show, and that that you know everybody's sort of familiar with these sort of stereotype behaviors that we see so many sellers indulge in. Increasingly, it's it's that's why it's increasingly difficult for sellers like that to to get an audience with buyers. Right. Yeah. Agreed. And um, I I don't know. I, I got a uh, uh, invite for a Gartner webinar, which um, you know, like like uh, even though I think they also have some research saying that buyers don't want to you know don't want to meet with salespeople. Right. This, this webinar that's coming up, and I assume there's research research behind it. Uh, they say some, something like, uh, uh, here's, I have some numbers here. It says 43% of customers prefer a rep-free experience, but, but when they have a rep-free experience, they're 20, 23% more likely to regret the purchase. <laughs> right. So, so I think this, this is kind of like the other side of the coin. It's like, okay, yeah, you don't want salespeople, but you're, you know, but, but, you know, but you're, uh, you know, proceed at your own peril without them, something like that. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's. What's what's the value to a buyer of talking to a seller? I mean, it's it's yeah, it comes in multiple forms, right? I mean, it could be hey, the the seller asks me questions to force me to think about you know a different aspect of of this challenge we have and the outcomes we can achieve in a way I hadn't thought about before. You know, sort of the classic challenger uh, model. Okay. That's that's a good reason to talk to seller. One is maybe validate some sort of validation of the decisions we're making. Maybe it's helping us frame what we're trying to do in a way that that mitigates some of the risk potential. Uh, I think there's a lot of reasons why why buyers would regret not talking to sellers. Uh, and I think that this is, I think one of the myths that that again that sort of accompanies this is in my mind uh, myths that accompany research like this is this. Idea people read it and sort of take as a blanket statement is that yeah buyers don't want to talk to sellers and it's like I don't think that's the case I mean as long as there's risk associated with the purchase I think they absolutely do want to talk to a seller right right absolutely so um, so I, I don't I think you you mentioned the type of selling that you used to do <laughs> and um, uh, I, I was curious did you ever get mistaken for an engineer 
when you were out there selling or <laughs> no. in, in here selling? No, no, no. I mean, <laughs> no. I, was, I was, I was, I was a history major, and but in, in tech my entire career, and right. in very complex technology, I spent big chunk of time in the satellite communications business. So, and I was working for startups selling mission critical communication systems against huge brand name tech companies uh, at the time, satellite companies and and oftentimes defense companies, you know, multi billion dollar multinationals, and we were nothing. And so we had to find, you know, a more effective way to sell than just to get the attention of the the customer. So, yeah, I mean, that's why I was smiled like when the Challenger sale came out because it's like, well, of course, that's how we. That's one of the primary things we did years before Challenger was even a figment of somebody's imagination. This is how we competed. Was, you know, we changed, we tilted the playing field, um, and changed the nature of the game as much as we could. Yeah, and and um, so, so the other the other thing that sort of occurs to me as you know as we look at sort of training, you know, again, I'm I'm flipping back and forth between how we sure. help our you know, our client base, but also how we train train our own folks um, in you know in the process and understanding you know the, the use cases and you know you know so on and so forth. Is it's pretty easy to train on how to sell something. Very difficult to train on how it's bought, if that makes sense. So, you know, what, what I mean by that is, is, you know, we have a process for, for selling and, and, you know, sort of, you know, defining the use cases mm-hmm. and cr- creating a sense of urgency. Um, and, and like, to, to me, that, that's something that you can bring a sale, you know, a salesperson up to speed on within, you know, within three, six, say, say nine months, if it's, if it's, you know, more technical sale, right? Um, I think that last 10% of, of like really, really figuring out like, what it takes to close a deal is understanding how something is bought, mm-hmm. and um, and you know, and, and a lot of these cro- uh, cross-functional decisions, it's um, oftentimes I don't think the buyer knows exactly how they buy this thing, right? So oh, yeah. I mean, they're you know, how you often don't, do they you buy? Don't know, right, something like that, right? Right, yeah. How often do they buy something like that, and and whose whose you know pet project are they stepping on if they if they propose this thing over over what they're using today? Mm-hmm. Um, and so so I think um, you know is is there a big I you know it it feels like there's you know not an IT element, but are they going to come out of the woodwork and and um, you know that that kind of thing, right? So so I think I think you know like the 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 thing where it takes you know some some experience and sort of understanding and sort of teasing out. Um, you know, like like everybody will tell you they're a decision maker, right? And you can take them at their word or not, right? And mm-hmm. then uh, you know, and how, how many of us, how many of us have had that situation where, okay, it looks like you know this person said they can make the decision, we're ready for the signature, and they're like, oh no no, there's you know three other sign offs that have to happen, <laughs> right? If if we're being honest, we've all had that experience. Oh, absolutely, right? Yep, absolutely, it happens all the time. And so so you have to be realistic about you know really understanding how this thing is is bought. You know how the how the uh, buyer is potentially going to behave. What other what other things uh, you know come up uh, in that process? And I think, right, but I think yeah. one of the things that we make this hard because we continue to um, you know picture sales as a process that doesn't really align with the process the buyer is going through. And it seems like, and I know a couple companies are sort of talking about this and their products that they're selling, but it's it's there's just one process. In my mind, there should just be one process. Yeah, they're trying to make a decision to make about making a change. They're unsure all the ramifications of what making the change will be. They're unsure of what outcomes they can achieve as a result of making the change. And it's just one process. 
And as long as we continue to have these these processes that aren't aren't even parallel for the most part, um, you know, sales process and buying process, it seems like we're continuing to sort of come back to some of the challenges we have as a sales profession. Is how do we best help the buyer? How, how do you best help the buyer? How do you how do you set up a, a process to make sure things move forward, sort of on the seller side, but accommodate what the buyer needs out of it? Right in the order that they need things, and uh, well, but just a simple example is you know why why do we denominate the stages in a sales process in a way that the buyer doesn't identify with? Buyer doesn't talk about a discovery stage, right? Oh, they're coming and discovering us today. Yeah, we'll click that. That no. I mean, you can look at a you know Gartner did their famous sort of spaghetti diagram of the buyer's journey. I sort of yet to hear of a company that sort of said, yeah, we're going to sort of really jigger our sales process and use this terminology. You know, there are four core jobs buyers are trying to accomplish in the heart of that, that diagram. Why wouldn't those be the stages of a sales process? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think, I think uh, you know, again, sort of speaking from, uh, you know, as a, as a you know, founder that's, that's trying to, you know, uh, you know make, make our sales process more process-driven, I think part of it is is that um, you know CRM and buying processes and stages stages are pretty linear, and I don't think that the the um, uh, you know that, that that a buyer a buyer's process is quite as linear or you know <laughs> not at all you know, or, right right. Well, I mean, look at that Gardner diagram. It's right. you know, you could as they talk about in there in their research is you know you could be on they had these four jobs. You could be yeah partway through accomplishing the second of the four jobs. And then, you know, a new stakeholder gets introduced or, you know, a new vendor enters the equation they hadn't talked about, goes back to the beginning. So, it's, it's not linear at all. And this is, that's reality, right? If you've ever dealt with a large enterprise sale, uh, yeah, there's no straight line about it. Right. So, you have the, the uh, flexibility, uh, you know, not only in the um, uh, needed in, in the process, but... Uh, Andy, okay. <laughs> I apologize. I apologize. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay. I, 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 I drew a blank there. That's but, okay. We're all yeah. This is this is you know during like the pandemic, you know, I was gonna kick out people saying, well, let's you know, let's remove distractions. We don't dogs in the background, so on. It's like, no, it's perfect perfect uh, time to illustrate that uh, we're all just human. So no problem with losing train of thought at all. Um, yeah, no, it, it's it's been great. I mean, I think that. There's still a lot to be written, obviously, about you know future of, of field sales. Um, obviously, it's never going to go back completely the way it was before, but I think that just sort of summing up is that uh, I'm a firm believer that, and actually, I'm talking to some people already doing it, getting out, going in front of customers where their competitors aren't. They're, they're finding some advantage in that, and I think they'll continue to be accentuated um, with those companies that are willing to say, yeah. At the right moment, the right time to move the deal forward, to add the specific value to the buyer and their process, going out, getting on planes could be a good idea. Yeah. Well, and, and, I, and I think, um, you know, the other key is sort of flexibility in, in uh, sort of adjusting to what the buyer needs and how, you know, how they are, you know, how they're, uh, how they're, they're buying that process and viewing yep. your solution. So I think, um, you know, again, you know, uh, tech, technology solutions that sort of add that flexibility, but also, mm-hmm. you know, capture the data. You know, again, that's that's kind of what we're striving for here. Cool. All right, Hans, thanks so much for joining me. If people want to learn more about uh, Story Slab or connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, 
Yep. So um, obviously we're on the web and in the book. If people want to track us down, uh, you know, that way, if they want to track, uh, find me personally, you know, on LinkedIn, I have my contact information posted there, including my phone number. So feel free to feel free to, you know, dial me up if, uh, if you want to continue this this uh, stream of consciousness, consciousness for your own business. Perfect. All right. Hans, thanks so much. Okay. Thanks, Eddie. Have a good day. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Hans Fuller, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement, with Andy Paul on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Hey, sales strategists. At Revenue.io, we're not just imagining the future of sales. We're building it. We offer the world's most complete platform for revenue teams, and we're featured in the most recent Forrester Waves for both sales engagement and conversation intelligence. With Revenue.io, you can slash call prep time to seconds, guide your reps in real time to have more successful conversations, and after calls, we generate ready-to-send recap emails so sellers can keep deals soaring toward the finish line at light speed. See the future of sales now at Revenue.io.